You are listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Assembly, Sedalia, Missouri. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about the church, you can reach us at www.bethelassembly.info. Tonight we are moving into part six of a series called Origin. We're looking at the book of Genesis. What is the book of Genesis all about? Well, it begins with the creation of the world. In the beginning, God. Tonight, we're going to continue in this series that we kicked off about six weeks ago. A series studying through the book of Genesis, beginning all the way through. Why are we going to take the time to process through this great book? Because I believe that it's the foundation of all that we do. Tonight's topic is the game changer. This is the moment when sin entered the world, but I am so happy to know that God had a greater plan. He could have in that moment when Adam and Eve chose to sin, he could have in that moment just erased humanity off the face of the earth and said, let's try again. He could have said, you know what? The dogs and the rabbits and the bunny, all these things, none of these are causing me problems. By the way, I know that a rabbit and a bunny is the same thing. I just got carried away. <laughs> They're not causing me any problems. Let's just ixnay on the humanity and let's just stick with the animals. He could have done that. But instead, he chose to make a way for you and for me. Tonight, we're going to dig deep into this book. We've already taken the time to discuss creation. We spent several weeks there. We took time to debunk um, evolution. And we even talked last week of what happened on the seventh day. We found out that God rested. But tonight, I want to move past creation, and I want to move into that moment when the lives of Adam and Eve changed, and when the course of all humanity changed forever. The game-changing moments. Adam and Eve were given full reign up to this point in the Garden of Eden, except for one tree. They could eat of any tree except for this one tree. Now, we see the picture of the apple. It wasn't necessarily an apple. We're not really for sure what the fruit was. But apparently, it was absolutely beautiful because it enticed Eve. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 says this. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him. Look at that. God warned him. You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So let's clarify something very quick. Did they die instantly the moment they ate this fruit? Well, not physically, but spiritually, they were separated. Physically, they began to die. Sin entered the world. And because of sin, we now all face death at some point in our lives. The Bible says that each and every one of us has an appointed time in which to die. It also says that the payment for our sin, the payment for the price that we have or what we have done in this world is death. So what happens with all of this? What do we do with all of this? I want to take some time tonight. I want to read the account in Genesis chapter 3. 
I'm going to read what's transpired. If you'll bear with me, I'm going to read several verses tonight. In fact, 21 verses tonight. Genesis chapter 3. Can you believe it? We made it to chapter 3. I didn't think we were ever going to get out of chapter 1. We were making progress in chapter 1, and then we got stuck, and then we went backwards in chapter 1 and hung out there for a while. But we are now in chapter 3. And it says this, the serpent was the shrewdest, look at your neighbor and say shrewdest, that's a word that we should bring back, what a great word, was the shrewdest of all the wild animals in the, the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, the serpent did, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? And by the way, we're going to break this section of Scripture apart in just a moment. We're going to look at what's happening step by step. Of course we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom that it would give her, so she took some fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, And he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and he suddenly felt shame for their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. The Lord called out, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord and God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me. And we're going to talk about that in, in just a moment. It was that woman that you gave me. Who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Then the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic or wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dusk as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. Someone just said, yeah, he did. You are the one that ate the apple. Let's go on. I will give you pain in birth, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Wow. Wow. I don't even have time to preach that one. 
nor do I dare to preach that one. But my wife is upstairs, so let's talk. No, I'm just kidding. Let's go on. And to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. I will, it will grow thorns and thistles for you. Though you will eat of its grain by the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. Then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of, of all who live. And the Lord made clothing from animal skins for Adam and Eve. Hold on to that little section at the end. We're going to come back to that. And the Lord God made clothing for, out of animal skins for Adam and Eve. Very quickly tonight, I want to give you five observations, five things in this section of Scripture that I see transpire and that I believe, if we will take to heart, will really help us out tonight. Number one, observation number one, Satan will always place doubts in your mind. Come on, look at that. Satan will always place doubts in your mind. I've had people tell me before, well, pastor, I don't know if it's God talking to me or if it's Satan talking to me. Let me just tell you this. If it lines up with God's word, it's not going to be Satan. If it's a lie, it's Satan. Satan will always place doubt in your mind. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat of the fruit from any tree in the garden? Satan's attempt, which was successful by the way, was to discredit God with Eve. To cause her to doubt that God was really being honest with her. The word shrewdest here literally means crafty, sly, or even subtle. He has a way with words, twisting them and distorting them to make them appear right. Wow, don't we see that in today's culture? Genesis 3, 4, and 5, you won't die, the serpent. And by the way, the serpent is Satan. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. We must remember that the Bible is very clear that Satan is not only a liar, but the father of lies. Let me say that again, that that sink into your spirit tonight. Satan is not just a liar, he is the father of lies. Someone once asked this question, how do you know when Satan is lying? The answer is very simple. Anytime he speaks. Satan's entire platform is built upon lies. Anything he can do to take you off course, to get you to doubt your faith, to question the word of God, to question the credibility of God, he is going to do. But the Bible says in 1 Peter, stay alert. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Who is the quickest to be devoured? The weak. If you watch any National Geographic or any animal channel shows and you're going to watch the prey and the predator and you see this combat going on, it's going to be the weaker of the animals that is taken down first. 
I challenge you tonight, don't become the weakest. But watch and pray. Stay alert. Stay attentive. Stay in the Word of God. Hide God's Word in your heart that you won't sin against Him. Bond that connection with Him together. Spend time in communion with the Father. Allow Him to fill all that you are with all that He is. Stay alert and watch for the tactics of the enemy. But unlike Satan, God's plans are to give you hope, to give you a future. God is on your side. We'll find out later in this message that He has given us a way out. Even though we don't deserve it, He has a new plan of action for you and for me, for each and every one of us. A plan that leads to life, unlike this plan for Adam and Eve that they accepted that led to death. As sin into the world. The second observation is this. Satan will appeal to your weaknesses. Did you know that? He knows how to get to you. And he knows that your weakness is different than my weakness. And my weakness is different than your weakness. And yours is different than yours, which is different than yours. And he knows how to get to you. So he will do everything he can to kind of craft and, and hone in. By the way, he's the shrewdest of them all. The woman was convinced, the Bible says. She saw the tree it was beautiful. Its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. Here's what I've discovered. Sin does not start out sin. It will disguise itself as something innocent at first. Oftentimes as something that may appear attra- attractive in the moment. Look at this. Just looking at this tree was not sin. But the more that she looked at the tree, it was more enticing and and more enticing and more attractive to her. She she saw the fruit and she thought, I've got to taste that fruit. Sin doesn't start out sin. You see, it will begin as mere temptation by the way temptation as it stands is not sin how do i know that because jesus was tempted yet he sinned not it's when we give in to that temptation when we cross over that line that we sin it was author oscar wilde That one said this, I can resist anything except temptation. Maybe that's you. And by the way, my wife said, who are you reading? That's Oscar Wilde. I can resist anything except temptations. Let me give you two truths about temptation. Number one, temptation is inevitable. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care how many chapters in the Bible you know frontward and backward. I don't care how long you come to church 
you may go to five churches in one week and you just kind of every day you're at a different church. I don't know. But I'm just telling you, it doesn't matter who you are. Temptation is inevitable. If you're not facing it right now, buckle up, buttercup. It's on its way. Temptation is going to occur in your life. No one is above temptation. Again, Jesus was tempted. If he's not above temptation, then what chance do we think? No one is above temptation. No one is above the potential to sin. I don't care how old you are, how long you've been a Christian. How will you respond when temptation comes knocking at your door? 1 John chapter 1 says this, If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and do not live in the truth. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that His word has no place in our hearts. Romans 3.23, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Now listen carefully. This does not give us an excuse to sin. Well, if I'm going to be tempted anyway, I might as well live it up. Well, if, if, if the Bible says we all fall short, we all sin, I might as well enjoy it. No. This doesn't give us an excuse to sin. Let me clarify. Temptation, as I stated a moment ago, and sin are not the same thing. I could be tempted all day long, every day, and still not give in to temptation. But the moment that I grab a hold of that temptation, the moment I embrace and and personalize it, I enter into sin. I allow myself to, to lower that standard that God has set before me. However, it's important to note that a life of sin begins with a single temptation. Did you grab a hold of that? A, a life of sin, a lifestyle of sin begins with a single temptation. Again, how are you going to respond when temptation comes knocking at your door? It was Greg Johnson in the book Character of Leadership that once said this. <clears throat> Every Samson who laid with Delilah, every David who betrayed his Uriah, every Judas who sold out his Jesus, began his downfall with a thought. Wow. Every Samson who lay with Delilah, every David who betrayed his Uriah, every Judas who sold out his Jesus, began his downfall with a thought. Did Jesus really tell you? Did God really say that if you eat of that fruit, that you would die? Did, did he really tell you that and the thoughts begin to stir? It was several years ago that a noted circus performer was attacked by one of his own trained animals. This is an eyewitness account of that moment. It says this, after the man had shown his complete mastery over several lions and tigers and leopards and hyenas. He concluded his act by introducing an enormous 
boa constrictor, nearly 30 feet long. He had purchased a snake when it was only two or three days old, and for 25 years had handled it daily so that he considered it perfectly harmless and completely under his control. As the huge serpent slithered along, its head erect, its bright eyes sparkling, the entertainer gave a prearranged signal to the powerful creature. As it had done every day before, it began to coil its heavy folds around him. Higher and higher and higher it rose. Until the man and the serpent seemed to blend into one. And the hideous head of the snake was raised above his own. Suddenly the trainer gave a muffled cry and the audience burst into applause. But their cheers froze on their lips. For it soon became obvious that the man's scream was a death wail of agony. Without warning, the boa constrictor serpent's nature had returned. And its shiny, rippling body embraced him for the last time. The crowd heard bone after bone Crack as the killer tightened its hold. The man's plaything had become his master and destroyer. So I say to you tonight, learn to take temptation very seriously. Hate it, resist it, run from it at its earliest existence. Go to God's word. Hide his word in your heart. Apply it to every temptation that comes your way. Only by doing so will you overcome the temptation. Ephesians chapter 6 says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, we don't battle against one another but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. How many of you would agree there's evil all around us? Therefore, put on the full armor of God, the the complete armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, in other words, when temptation comes, comes knocking at your door, when the enemy comes trying to entice you with that beautiful fruit, when the enemy tries twisting those words, when the enemy tries coercing you because he is so shrewd, when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm. After you have done everything possible, after you've gone into your arsenal time and time again, after you've opened up that toolbox over and over, after you've dived in head first time and time again, and you've done everything that you know to do to stand, stand firm. Don't waver, don't tiptoe around, don't toy with temptation. There's an old saying that says this, if you're going to play with fire, you're going to get burnt. The same holds true with sin. 
If you give it a foothold in your life, it will eventually grab a hold of you. It will spin around you and around you and get higher and higher to the point that you and that temptation become almost one. And then its powerful forces will begin to crush you. That thing that you once toyed with becomes your master and your destroyer. The second thing that I see regarding temptation, first off, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. The question is, how will you respond? The second thing is this. Temptation is not from God. Maybe you've said this or heard someone say this before. God, why are you doing this to me? There's no statement further than the, from the truth. Why would God, now listen carefully... Listen carefully. Why would God send his one and only son to die a cruel death on the cross of Calvary for this world that he was going to lead into temptation and sin? That doesn't make any sense. It seems like a a bit of contradiction to me. But James chapter 1 verse 13 says, God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else so where does temptation come from well two venues number one is satan the thief's purpose satan's purpose is to steal kill and destroy so how does he go about doing that any means possible Satan knows your weakness. He knows how to trip you up. He knows how to make you stumble. He will do everything in his ability to move you down that path of destruction. The first venue that leads leads us in temptation is Satan. The second is our own desires. James 1, 14 and 15 says, Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. The phrase drags us away in this scripture originally comes from a fishing term, Jimmy. When you want to catch fish, you have to bait the hook. Now, I'm not a, an avid fisherman. I can't tell you a whole lot about fishing. I, I know how to use a bobber and put a worm on the end. I, I've got that. In fact, my uncle used to call and catch him Chris, just so you know. Go down to Lake Wapapella. My brother was hanging up Tony. I was catching Chris. I could throw that. I could cast right in there, right into that sweet spot. I would sit there patiently and watch that bobber. And it would go under and I would pull and I'd bring home a a big old fish. It was absolutely amazing. But I don't know a whole lot about fishing. But what I do know is this. Different fish require different baits. I am not much of a fisherman, but I realize this. If I want to catch a fish, I don't place a mousetrap on the end of my line. I must use something that's enticing to that fish. Satan is the same way. He knows what is needed to entice you. And again, it may not be the same as it is for me. He will toy with you. He will lure you in slowly. But the moment that you take a bite, he will set that hook. However, do not get trapped 
in living your life with this statement. Well, the devil made me do it. I, I believe that sometimes, oftentimes, we give Satan more credit than he's really worthy of. Sometimes our stupidity made us do it. Sometimes our ignorance made us do it. Right? Just like a fisherman cannot make a fish bite the hook, Satan cannot make you fall into sin. You have a choice. You will either stand firm when you've done everything to stand. Now you have a choice to make. Will you stand firm or will you give up? You'll either stand firm or step right in the trap that's laid before you. I love Romans chapter 7, verse 25. It says, the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all of my heart and mind, but I am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Jesus is the answer. If you don't know where else to turn, turn to Jesus. Look at our third observation. What do we have so far? Number one is what? Satan will always place doubt in your mind. Number two, Satan will appeal to your weakness. Number three, sin will bring about shame. Have you ever messed up and suddenly, almost instantly, you just feel overrun with guilt and shame? Verse 7 says this, at that moment, the moment that they bit into that fruit, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves, realizing their nakedness for the very first time. They quickly began to cover their bodies. Sin ought to make us ashamed of ourselves. God has given us the inner judge called our conscience that accuses us when we're wrong but approves when we're right. It was a Native American Christian that compared our conscience to an arrowhead in his heart. He made this comparison. If I do wrong, it turns and turns and makes me want to do what is right. But if I keep doing wrong, the arrowhead keeps turning and wears down the points so it no longer hurts. The Bible calls that a, a seared conscience or an evil conscience. It's no longer functional. It no longer works properly. Let me encourage you to listen to the moving of the Holy Spirit in your heart, and in your life. Those moments when he prompts you to change your ways, to turn and go another direction. You see, the sin that entered into the world not only placed shame on Adam and Eve, but for the very first time ever on the face of the earth, fear set in. What in the world did they have to fear? God gave them dominion over everything. They had full reign over the entire garden, but that one tree. 
Nothing to fear. Everything was provided. Everything was there. But sin into the world. And the Bible says this. He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. I was afraid. I've told you this before, but fear is simply this. False evidence altering reality. We have nothing to fear. I don't have time to dig into this idea of fear tonight. That's a message all in its own. But suffice it to say, sin leads us down a pathway and a lifestyle that we, will never, that we were never created to encounter. It's time to turn back to God and allow His reality to trump the false reality that sin has established in our lives. Let me say that again because that should have been a amen, hallelujah, slap your mama moment. Yes, really. It's time to turn back to God and allow His reality to trump the false reality that sin has established in your lives. It's time to surrender it to God. Observation number four. Sin will cause you to deflect the blame. Seldom, very seldom ever, do we own up to our sin. Oftentimes we are so quick to blame somebody else, to blame something else. Because the moment we receive the blame, we feel that we have to now accept the consequence. That's what we see transpiring with Adam and Eve. They quickly begin to pass the blame. Surely it's not my fault. Surely it's, it's your fault. Surely it's someone else's fault. Surely it's the words that were shared. Let me read the account to you again. Three verses. He replied, I heard you walking. Again, this is Adam speaking to God. I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked, the Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me. She gave me the fruit and I ate it. The Lord asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me. That's why I ate it. Let's take a moment, let's look at Three false accusations. Accusation number one is this. God is to blame. This is the first accusation that we see happening here. The man replied, it was the woman you gave me. God, it's, it's your fault. God, if you didn't want me to, to fall into this, then you shouldn't have allowed that to be in my way. God, if you were really a loving God, you wouldn't have allowed that to happen in my life. God, if you were really concerned about me, come on, right? God, it's, it's your fault, God. God, you can't really blame us. We're new at this life thing. You've been around forever. Surely it's not our fault. God, you are the one. You're the one that gave me this woman. You're the one that said, it's not good for a man to be alone. How did that work out? 
I can just hear this conversation. I was doing okay before she came along. And you gave her to me. Accusation number two, others are to blame. The man replied, it was the woman you gave me. God, she did it first. I was just moseying along. I was standing there. All of a sudden, the serpent began to talk, and I'm like, huh, that's weird. And she began to talk to this serpent, and then suddenly she picks up the fruit. She takes a bite, and she's like, man, this is good stuff. And she hands it to me. And I'm just telling you, God, it's not my fault. She's the one that cooks dinner every night. I told her I wanted McDonald's, and she said, no, let's have the fruits. It's this woman you gave me. This woman is the one at fault. The third false accusation is Satan is to blame. Then the Lord asked the woman, why have you done this? The serpent deceived me, she said. That's why I ate. Sure, God, I may have eaten the fruits, but did you hear what the snake said to me? Did you hear what this serpent said? He put doubt in my mind. I was doing really good. God, I had complete faith and trust in you. God, I didn't doubt you at all. But then the snake began to talk to me, and he began to spread all of his lies. And so I believed him. He made me question what you said. It's not my fault. It's that snake. By the way, why is he talking Let's move on. Observation number five. Sin always has a consequence. I want you to listen carefully to that. Sin always, always, always has a consequence. God begins to list the consequences. I'm not going to take the time to reread them and break them apart. They're pretty self-explanatory and if you want to read through them you can on your own Genesis chapter 3 1 through 19 gives the full account but here's the biggie here's the big consequence to sin for the wages of sin is death death spiritually death physically in that moment into the world. The consequence of sin set in. Adam and Eve were banished from the garden. Why was there a consequence? Because God, a a perfect, sinless God, cannot coexist, cannot tolerate sin. There must be a punishment for those that desire to remain in sin. But if God's really a loving God, would He send people to hell? No, that's why he gave them a way out. They choose to go. Come on. That'd be like you saying, well, pastor, I've got this big debt. If I don't take care of this debt, then they're going to take everything I own away from me. And 
So I pull out my wallet, and by the way, this is totally false because I can't do this. Pulled out my wallet, and I took a big old wad of cash out, and I'm, and I'm holding thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars in my hand. I'm like, here's your way out, but you're like, nah, I'm good. That's kind of how some of us, some people, treat this free gift from God. The wages of sin is death. See, because here's our final realization. God always gives us a way out. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Man, I feel like the last few weeks our, our messages keep coming back to this idea of salvation is there. I don't know who God is speaking to. I don't know who's been in every one of those services that God's dealing with, but I want you to know the wages of sin is death. The payment that you deserve because of your lifestyle of sin, of following after the the choices that you're making, is sin, is death. But there's a free gift from God. Now remember, it was while we were still sinning that God sent Jesus to pay the price. Jesus gave us a way out even while we were in the midst of our failures and our shortcomings. And I love what happened right after God's conversation with them about their sin. Do you remember what it said? He takes a moment and expresses his love upon them. He goes through one by one and he says, here's the consequence for what you've done. Then it says that Adam turned and he named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all that lived. And then verse 21 says, and the Lord God made clothing from animal skin for Adam and his wife. Now you may look at that and go, that's weird. But you know what I see in that? I see a moment of our Heavenly Father looking upon Adam and Eve and saying, you know what? I know you disobeyed me. I I know that you willfully did what I asked you not to do. But I also know right now that you're hurting that you're broken, that you're walking around in fear. You're going through a myriad of emotions that you've never had before. I want to show my love to you. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. I want you to grab a hold of this. They had just done the one thing that he had asked them not to do. They caused everything to change. They caused sin to enter into a perfect world. You see, up to that point, everything was perfect. I mean, God had just created the world and he said, it's very good. 
Everything that I see here is very good. And now he looks at what's happening and he says, man, there's sin. Makes clothing for them. Then he banishes them from the garden. Took away the tree of life. Look at this. If they were able to consume the tree of life, again, it says they put a guard in front of the tree of life. If they were able to consume from the tree of life, then they would live forever in an imperfect world. So again, it, it wasn't, come on. It wasn't that God was looking at him saying, I don't want you to have the best. But he was looking at them and saying, I want you to have the best. Are you grabbing a hold of this? Let me explain here. He took out the option of the tree of life. Because if they ate from the tree of life, they would live forever in an imperfect world. This would be the best that would ever get for them. But God knew that there was a better way. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, when you are tempted, he, God, will show you a way out so that you can endure. But here's the catch. When he begins to show you a way out, you must begin to follow. James chapter 1 verse 22, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. If you hear God's word but you don't follow what it's saying, you're wasting your time, you're fooling yourself, you will not be successful over the temptation, you will fall into sin. He says, let me lead you where you need to go. 2 Peter chapter 2, so you see the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from the trials. One One translation says, from their temptations. So what is the first step to any recovery? Admitting there's a problem. Admitting you're powerless. If you're facing temptation, you have a problem. By the way, we're all facing temptation, so we all have a problem. Satan wants nothing more than for you to fall. He wants nothing more than to destroy your life. It's time to run to the one who holds the answer in his hand. James 4, 7, as I wrap up tonight... So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So humble yourself before God. Resist the devil. And he'll flee. I challenge you tonight. Don't toy with temptation. Don't play around with sin. Just like the the circus performer toyed with the boa constrictor. And eventually became his master and his destroyer. The same is inevitable in your life and in my life if we toy and play with sin. But run to God. Humble yourselves before him. Resist the devil. You have no choice but to flee.